And this episode of The Running Public is brought to you by us and The Running Public Training Plan. This running plan has everything we ever talk about on any Training Tuesday, all compiled into one all-encompassing training plan. Everything we talk about is just waiting for you. And you can cancel at any time. If you've been curious about it or you don't know how to put together all the knowledge we share on the podcast into your own training plan, it's a no-brainer. Where can people go find this uh, this training plan and get signed up, Bragging? On our beautiful website, therunningpublic.com, $19.99 a month, cancel anytime you want. You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Start this out with you talking about me being inside your brain again. Okay. That's what I want to hear. Well, you said this is weird. You don't like this recording because it sounds like I'm in your brain. Mm-hmm. I replied that you were inside of my brain for pretty much every quality workout I ran for three or four years. You and Hobie call. And that was it. Thinking about us, just dirty thoughts that I would like things I said to you, like pillow talk. Well, we weren't at that point yet. (laughs) This was only me thinking about you as an athlete. You know, it was really sad. You calling him the P word is what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I normally have, um, a jar full of sticky notes, like a bunch of sticky notes taped to my wall. And you can see all like the adhesive that's still left of people that I want to, I don't know, for the lack of better terms, kill in my life. Just like, just destroy them. Athletic. I don't have any more sticky notes on my wall. I got no goals right now. It's kind of sad. It is sad. You Hold know what's also sad? I'll go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I, I want to know the names in this. You have a jar of sticky notes. These must be like the well, notes that have been killed. Can you tell us what's on those notes? That's what I was going to so, say. But from a different angle, which is that it's sad when you're not on someone's wall who's on your wall (laughs) because there's a differential in ability or you're not taken seriously. This one's at the top. What does that say? Ryan Kent made you look stupid. Underlined stupid. (laughs) I have to throw it out at the beginning of every single year because it's just like all these post-it notes in there. And I was like, I got to get this out of my house. (laughs) You had Ryan Kent made you look stupid on your wall for the last six months. Yes. And I tore it off when I got back from Vegas. Yeah, hey, like you can't that. see this, listener, but but Hunter has a mason jar full of sticky notes that were what once on your wall, and now they're not because you've killed those people, and now they go in the jar. Yeah, we probably shouldn't use the word "kill" because the word's so, world's so sensitive these days. But just targets. Let's just use that. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to share yeah. the other names in there. I don't really know what all of them are. I, they're, they're pretty recent because I haven't. Um, one high rocks world champion win high rocks world championships 2022 done one of them is a wishbone that i want one in a bet um high rocks world championship 2022 i wanted to get that back and just won the go ruck games i also can put in accomplishments in here so the only one i had on the wall this year i guess was ryan kent is that the least flattered. number of names you've had on a wall in a year 
pretty much because I'm usually like much more regularly competing against people, you know, after Ryan Atkins beat me in the Spartan games year one, I was like, fuck, I'm so angry. Sorry to cuss. I don't know if this is a children's podcast. Um, I was so angry and I had it up on the wall and I was convinced that I was going to win in um, this last year. And I don't even really like to unpack it. I think Ryan Atkins deserved to win during uh, in the way that they designed the event. But I think the way that they designed the event was so insanely flawed that I just took the piece of paper off my wall because I didn't really get beat by him this year. I kind of got beat by the fucking game. So that one's been on my wall for about a year and I took it off afterwards. I was like, I'm done with that stupid sport. But for the most part, it's just been Ryan Atkins and Ryan Kent. And Ryan Kent, I don't think he's ever beat me in anything in the entirety of like the eight years we raced against each other. So he wasn't really a priority. No, no offense to him, but it's just like people that had beaten me or like goals that I had, you know, to beat. Used to be CrossFit games, just a bunch of things. So going back to your, when you first had someone's name, either on paper or just in your head, Going back to what I mean, I don't know when you started, but OCR was probably 2013. Hobie Cole. Well, I know Hobie was first, obviously, but who was the who has shown up the most over the years? Hobie lasted the longest, and then Hobie also just like outright beat me the worst. You know, yeah. In my career, I beat Hobie like three times, three times, and it just was like fudge. He he was just so ahead and like like a head above me and everything that we did. And, you know, I didn't really come into my athletic prime until probably he was leaving. Interestingly enough, like the last year that I competed against him was my best showing at Tahoe ever. And I didn't train for it at all. I just think that I, you know, I knew how to race that mountain better than I ever had before. And I was in the worst shape for that mountain that I had ever been. What were you in shape for? I was doing TMX at the time. I raced him in 2018, and it was my second year of TMX. 2017. Wasn't that 2017? I don't, I don't think so. You, you were six, retired, right? You retired 2018. He won 2017. I thought he won 16. He won 16. Okay, so then I'm in 17. But it's still, it was TMX. Yeah. It was that TMX. long year where it was like a three-hour race. It was like 17 miles. Sucks so hard. Yeah. I was so tired coming down because we had to go back up that peak. I was running down the mountain with my arms stretched out straight because my biceps were cramping. And I always say my, like my motto is biceps when races. I was get, I was exhausted. I was just like, please, please, please. We just yeah. did an episode on race brain, the other podcast about who the best of all time were. And the debate was between you and Cody for who's in the top five all time OCR athletes. Because the way we had it set up, hybrid racing didn't weigh equally with OCR racing. It shouldn't. So some people had you in the top five, some didn't. But one of the one of the criteria were was world championships at Spartan Race. And those guys all just had that. But and to help me with that episode, I went back and I watched some world champs. And I think that you had the most underrated world championship showing that I can think of. The year Hobie, I think that was the year Hobie won because you two, correct me if I'm wrong, because you were in the race, not I, but I think you two got to the top of the mountain the first time roughly together and yep. you completed the bell sequence in the wrong order and this new obstacle that they were unclear about rules and had to do burpees. Yeah. Yeah. I was furious about that. But this you were maybe looking at world champion status that year, which would be the one thing missing from your resume. 
hundred percent. I have it on my Strava. I had the crown to the top of the mountain, the fastest. I had the crown because I, I had come down slower than those guys. They had beaten me up the first ascent, um, and then they came down faster than me. But then my ascent to the top, where I missed that bell, was faster than anybody else's on that second big climb. And you At went like ninth to fourth or something on that big climb, right? Yeah, and it was the year that they changed kicking the bell mm-hmm. the day before World Championships. It wasn't announced. It wasn't anything. You had to come to an athlete meeting, which nobody goes to fucking athlete meetings unless you're from like Persia and you had never done a Spartan race before. So you had to go to the meeting to actually find out what a Spartan race was before you did it. And I was fucking livid because the race before was Breckenridge and I kicked the bell and someone tried to stop me and I just told the person to go F themselves and I just kept on running. And when I got to the finish line, I was like, yo, these people are trying to tell me I can't kick the bell. And they're like, no, that's okay. And it was, uh, it was okayed by, I think Mike Morris. And then I kicked the bell. I run. I'm still right next to Hobie. I think it was like, I can't even remember. I think it was that Aaron kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Aaron Fletcher. Aaron Fletcher, the Aaron, steeplechaser. Yep, Aaron Fletcher, myself, um, Cody, and one other per in in Hobie. And I hit kick the thing. Someone says stop burpees. I'm like fuck you guys. Boom! I run. I'm about a half mile away, and then all of a sudden, Mike Morris pulls up on me in an ATV or one of those side by sides, and he's like, "Dude, no, you have to go back and do burpees. That rule changed." So I had to run all the way back do the burpees, and at that point, I was kind of gutted. And I didn't you know, know you had moved past it. I thought you had spent time arguing and lost time there. I didn't realize you actually moved. There's I a ran. video of you. There's a video of you arguing with somebody out there from that. For obstacle. sure. I was arguing. Yeah. I think I saw, I think I saw that, which was highly entertaining in hindsight. What obstacle was that? Like ape hanger or something? Ape hanger. Yeah. I mean, listen, dude, some of these volunteers show up for a t-shirt. I showed up there to win world championships and nine times out of 10, the people who are like next to the obstacle, you've never met them before. They've never done that before, and I was just livid. I was like, I'm not listening to you. You have no fucking clue what you're talking about. I'm out of here. Especially on a – now, granted, that rule was now a rule. For It was 12 hours old, that yeah. rule. No one really understood it. But since it was so new, it seemed like a judgment call was in order there where if you were stalled out on the second-to-last ring and you didn't have grip left and you just reached out and kicked it, that's one thing. But when you just swing all the way through easily, kick it and move on and wasn't really under, <laughs> didn't know that the rule is even a rule, you'd think some judgment could be used at the world championship where they're known for just springing random rules and and breaking rules and changing rules. Who's eligible? Who's not eligible? Who we decided to just bring in today yep. to take one of the top five people out is hard. And what killed me is that everyone knows Tahoe is a second half race. You've got to be able to get to the top Mm -hmm. of the mountain, but you have to be able to then descend and climb again. And if you were moving the second, the the fastest on the second climb, like all that said to me when I was rewatching this coverage was that was Hunter's best chance other than your first world championship. That was your best chance to win one. That was the year he beat Hobie fair and square in Monterey or almost beat Hobie. We should say fair and square in Monterey and Killian who ended up. Yep. I have found out that in my mind, it was better to, coast not blow your load and then get to that flat part of the race and do the most damage across that rolling like you know bowl Mm -hmm. up there and then descend faster than anybody that was my thought and i had planned it so so strategically and then i had used that same exact plan the following year um and it worked really well for me 
because I'm just a tank. Like I cannot ascend the way that these guys do without just cooking myself alive. Like I was just been studying my VO two max scores. Um, Rich Diaz has been sending all my VO two max scores with me. And at this point in 2016, I could hold around a five fifteen mile burning 65% fat. And I just was like, so aerobically sound, but still it cost me more to do uh, that effort than anybody. I just was eating through shit. And well, that's taking that effort and going uphill. And then that's a different, that's a different story. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I don't know. the strategy was, was sound. The, um, the race organization, I guess would say is less than sound, but whatever, you know, that was seven years ago now, which is crazy. It is crazy. But so mm-hmm. like OCR worlds and Spartan are the two things you never won. And you were really close at Spartan one year. You were winning within a mile or less to the finish. Yep. And then this year, I think that year is the 2016 or whatever year it was. That was the year that no one realizes that year got away from you. That that was equally your race to win. Because you talk about who you were with. Cody, Hobie, Aaron. Uh, Cody and Hobie were gone after that. And you yeah. were out climbing that. It's just, a, it's unfortunate. It's one of those races that I, I feel like I know the sport as well as anyone knows the sport. And I had forgotten how you probably, people talk about woods getting screwed over, but woods are usually like, it's, I don't know, 50, 50 him. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> not. He doesn't want to hear that. Yeah, no, he doesn't. But like, he has a, a role in it. Yours, they changed a rule the night before and didn't tell you. It was just like, that's the most I've ever seen someone get hosed by the system at a world championships. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I was never like, you know, those athletes, like an Ironman, like they win the whole, like, I guess Mac or Chris McCormack had never won Ironman world championships would like win the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. I was never a good championship racer. I, I didn't win the rest of the year either. I'm not trying to say I was that dominant, but I was always good at like up until like 80 minutes. And then from there, it was just a ticking time bomb. And I stretched as thin as I could every single year, trying to get every ounce of myself out of that thing. But I don't even know if I'd put myself top five. I guess it would be Hobie, Cody, um, Hobie, Cody, Atkins, uh, Albin, obviously. And then it's interesting. Like you have to put Killian in there because he's won two world championships. But for some reason, he's one of those kind of guys who was like a Dave Scott. He didn't give a shit about the rest of the year and then would just dominate. And everyone's like, he's a hack job. But then when I got to know Killian better, I was like, nah, he's smarter than all of us because nobody knows who won Monterey. Nobody knows who won Palmerton. But you can, I literally was just at the Vail GoPro games and there's billboards of Robert Killian on there that says Spartan Race World Champion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I put, in that episode, I talked that you, Hobie, and Killian were the three best I'd ever seen at accomplishing a goal. Like Cody could just, it was his day or it wasn't. If his yep. body was healthy, no one could really beat Cody. And Atkins just shows up. It doesn't matter what he's done in training. He's just always going to be in the mix. Like yep. you and Killian, and then to some extent, Hobie had the biggest ability I'd ever seen to put in a block of specific training for a race and be better for it. I, mean, I think you have to be, but, but it's I'm funny not. that they say Killian only race championships, but other times he decided I'm going to win the stadium championship this year and he'd win it, or I'm going to win the national series. And he'd do, he'd win a bunch in a row. Like he's, he's similar to you, even though you guys are opposite athletes and that you guys respond to specific blocks of training and some yeah. people don't. Well, I think the reason why Atkins and maybe even Albin get away with so much is because they put in probably 30% more volume than everybody else. 
just makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Just makes a difference. Like it's just like less holes in your in your plan when you're just that prepared. I think so many people. I just like watch them all season long. They just like put in the work. They're like, man, this worked last year. And I'm like, well, everybody's going to work harder than last year because they probably lost. So it's just like this. If you, mm-hmm. You've noticed, obviously, since the start of the sport, everyone's been getting better and better and better. Like a 17-minute 5K was like pretty badass when we first started OCR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, yo, I know this one guy who runs like a 16-20. And we're like, whoa. And now there's dudes that are, I don't know. Did did VJ do the Carlsbad 5,000? Yeah, and he kind of mm-hmm. ran really slow. 16 really? Or 16.05. Wow, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. But you're actually talking about uh, what we want to talk about today, Hunter. This is yeah, a Training exactly. Tuesday. This is a special guest episode of Training Tuesday, which is very a rarity. Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday. Well, we're talking about training for a specific goal, right? And And then you have this sticker you just talked about with Ryan Kent on your wall. Mm-hmm. because he kicked your ass and then you vowed that that would not happen again at the world champs and you came back and you won the thing as a new athlete training for your specific goal yeah. and don't we want to talk about what you did in order to uh to achieve that to maybe go out on top so to speak Isn't that what we're here for yeah I, I hope so i mean i'm willing <laughs> to talk about unpack some other stuff like how you have a bunch of dead animals on the back of your wall and he's got a bunch of shoes it's just two just two. Just but two. I man's got to eat. Man's got to eat. I'm gonna well, book. Well, here's the deal. So I have a timestamp of like 15 minutes from now, and I got to roll. So I don't know your timeline, Bracken, but I know you're gonna be stuck just with you two. So, um, what do you want to unpack while I'm here, Cracker? Well, I mean, it's it's the, the the career trajectory started as Hunter chasing that outlier race. You said that you weren't a championship racer. And I would argue that like McCormick or some of those people, the championship didn't apply to your skill set. There's a difference between a flat 70.3 that's going to be, or a, you know, a full Ironman that's going to be 60 degrees and then open ocean swim with constant heat and humidity. And that's what Spartan is, right? They take the longest, steepest, highest elevation course and say, this is going to tell us who's the best. And we've complained about this for years. We don't have to get into that, but you finally found an event that actually was Part of the reason Alvin and Atkins get away with everything is because they're good at that thing. Like yeah. if you had to create an event for them, you'd say, go run a bunch of mountains and do some strength and grip stuff. Like that is their, their skill set. You found your skill set, but the sport accelerated, I would say more rapidly than Spartan did. And it caught up real quickly. And yep. you put into place a plan, a specific plan for winning back your title. And obviously you're releasing a, a high rocks plan in the the near, near future here. And I want to hear all about all that. Can I cut in real quick? Yeah. I want to start before we jump to that. I want to know why you lost, why you lost. You were the champ. Then you got knocked off the top and you came back and were the champ. Why did you lose that race to Ryan Kent? What was that? The North American champs. What was that race? Yeah. Uh, well, I just... Why'd you lose? And then what'd you change? But yeah, I want to start with the loss. I just hadn't set myself up well enough for it. You know, I, I, it, it honestly started probably about eight months earlier when I just decided that, you know, high rocks, high rocks is not it, it, my vision at the time was, I was like, high rocks isn't going to get any better than it is right now. Like I've reached the ceiling where I'm going to show up and win five to $10,000, maybe two to three times a year. And I'm going to go out being known as the guy who ran in circles and did a bunch of fitness 
And I was like, I want to test myself a little bit more than that before I retire. So I was like, I'm going to try to go set this 200 pound marathon. And it was a little bit of vanity in the way that I needed something more to like really sink my teeth into. And also something that was a little bit more fulfilling in the way that it was challenging me. Um, the field wasn't as robust as the way it is now. And I was winning like just so easily by four minutes, every single time that I raced, it was not, it was not even really a competition. I was gone after the third station and nobody would ever catch up to me. So it wasn't really that competitive. And I just was like, eh. so I started training for marathoning and I was getting really, really good. Like I just last night was looking at all of my marathon times and looking at all not marathon times, marathon training times. And I was like, wow, Hunter, you were in such good shape. And then I hurt my hamstring, which is still hurt to this day. Like I can't even explain it. I guess it's called piriformis syndrome where if I start to pick up my mileage, I just have this like hot stinging stab in the back of my hamstring that goes into my calf and then into my foot. That's a nerve, I guess. Hmm. Um, And then I kind of just stopped training all summer long at at a high level. I would ride my bicycle. I would swim at the beach. I would lift weights and do like, you know, little CrossFit bodybuilding Metcons. And I didn't even know if we were going to race because COVID was basically shutting down all events. And then all of a sudden I found out that I could fly over and race Leipzig and I just got my ass handed to me. Rightfully so. Didn't show up. Didn't train. You know, I just said, I was like, Hunter, you beat these guys by four minutes to six minutes every single time you race them you could lose five minutes almost and you'd still beat them all. Well, that what was do you, not. What do you mean? Like when you say like you didn't train, like what does that mean to you when you didn't You train? guys, you and I both know there's a difference between going for like three to four runs a week and then like three to four training runs a week on top of an extra six, you know, moderate runs every single week. Like you have to be putting in for me, my aerobic, like, my aerobic numbers around 12 to 16 hours a week where I start to have this like magic feeling where I'm floating. Like I just can go forever. And just, I was, I watched the broadcast last night of the one that you guys did for high rocks world championships. And I have not seen the content up until yesterday. And I was watching myself and I was like, that's it. That's my flow state. Literally there was no difference in the way that I was running from the first, first lap all the way until the last lap. And that's what it takes. I was probably putting in, I don't know, six to eight hours a week of aerobic work in about two runs. And I was only doing one interval run because I couldn't handle anymore. My hamstring would go off. You know, I found out this number and I went through all my training logs. I would go through Ryan Atkins training logs. I would go through everybody's training logs. And I found this number where I was like, what are the guys that are doing the absolute best doing? And what can I get away with? Cause I understand that my method was a little bit different for, for getting there than these guys. So I needed to kind of cater it to myself to cut so in real quick, so to the so to just get make sure I got this straight, like you were down to like six to eight hours of aerobic work when you weren't like training with purpose, where typically when you're really flowing, you'd be let's just say circa day fifteen hours of aerobic work a week, and so there's a big difference in just the time you were putting in, and then also the purposefulness of that time. Is that basically the difference? You were training about half the load, and you have to stack it properly. Like you have to stack it properly. I'm the kind of guy that spends about 50% of my week on a bike. I have to, or I get hurt. Um, and I, when I say get hurt, like I'm not like breaking bones, or anything like this, but we all know those hot spots that pick up in everybody. It might be your hip, might be your knee, might be your calf, might be your ankle. So 
I just, you know, I went back to my training logs over and over and over again. And what I did this time though, was the difference. Now I had studied this for years, but I had never implemented it is I went and I studied the Norwegians because I was like, man, I have to go back to what those guys are doing. And I have to look and see why they're doing so well. So I started reading through all the books, listening to all the podcasts. And I was just like, hmm. And the one thing was I just went through all of the sports and I was like, which one is truly most consistent with what I do? And it always comes down to cross-country skiing because our sport is endurance, but it's strength endurance it's like cross-country skiing is. And they're switching between this really high-level aerobic threshold into that like lactic, almost anaerobic threshold when they're having to explode up hills. If, I don't know if you've ever watched the guys at the cross-country skiing Olympics, but they're freaking sprinting and spiking their sticks into the ground and getting up there. And they have like, they have like foam and salt all over the rim of their mouth. Like they are truly switching in and out of these fuel systems so aggressively that they're the peak of aerobic fitness of any athlete I consider in the world. Whereas if you watch marathoning or track and field, those guys seem to hold the same pace. They're like a candle. Start to finish, it's the same amount of heat that they're producing. If they go any over, they usually pop, unless we're talking about, um, I don't know what that kid was in the 800-meter runner back in 1976 when he won from like a whole lap out. You guys know what I'm talking about? Talking about Waddle? Waddle, yeah. 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 His hat fell off, yeah. yeah but Although he actually is the actual, uh, that actual person that he ran the same splits both laps. He just didn't get out fast. Okay. Well, it it felt like he went out really, it seemed like he closed so hard on the second lap, right. which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But my point is, is that form of training was too consistent. So I realized that I needed to produce a ton of power. So I started doing a strength building cycle back in November where I did a 20 rep back squat cycle. And I was like, I'm going to pump so much strength into my legs early on. And then I'm going to wean off of strength training down to almost like 20% of my normal volume near the end of the training um, block, which is like, you know, April into May. And just hope that you arrive at that perfect like intersection line between the most strength I can keep off the least work. So I can put a ton of aerobic in. Yep. You're talking 20 reps, 20 reps per set. You're talking high volume, like fill those legs up. One set volume at about two minutes and 15 seconds to two minutes and 30 seconds of uh, bar tension. What did you say with the number 20? What was that? You do 20 reps in a row, but, 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 but right. 20 reps okay. straight. That's what I thought. And I finished out with 305 on the bar for my last, my last um, ever workout with that. And I was like, I don't know anybody in the world that can do that and also run like I can. So I was like, strength's there. And what that, and how also, far, but, how long out? Sorry. We're going to keep sidetracking that 305 by 20. How far was, out from Vegas was that? That was January 14th. I think it was. Okay. And from so there you out. started cutting down four months. Yep. And at that point I was 209 when I raced against Kent at January 26th. So 209, Kent was 180. So I was 29 pounds heavier than Kent on that race day. And, you know, the studies that go into 20 rep back squat and why it's valuable is something, if you guys really want to get geeky about it, it basically teaches your body to shunt lactic acid and, and create more oxygen to the muscle at a more efficient rate. If you train it consistently, you can't just like do it once and be like, Oh yeah, I know what I'm doing now. Like it has to, it has to be trained consistently. And the way my legs look now and the vascularity I, I have in my legs now is still different to this day since that squat cycle. I don't know. Were what you going like every other day, every Monday, Fridays, Mondays and Fridays. 
Okay. And I would have a Wednesdays would still be a strength training session, but I would let my knees go because it was just too much. I'm not like I'm a strength athlete, but I'm not that much of a strength athlete because I was doing other stuff. Did those days in CrossFit kind of wreck the body a little bit? You Dude, my back is still broken to forward. the day. Yeah. yeah. Is that part right. of the reason why you got to be a little more careful now? 100%, dude. Yeah. I, I did it. I don't do touch and go cleans at all anymore. And I programmed it into the workout for my, my company. And I was like, man, I haven't done these in a while. Let me try them. My back is still fried from last week. So mm. it's just, I'm not trying to say that CrossFit's bad. I'm just saying if you do anything the wrong way, it's bad. Like professional level CrossFit's. Yeah. Right in that yeah. line. So what I did then was I switched over and I did that all through base training. I was starting to kind of like pick up the miles and do a lot of biking and stuff. Um, which typically I wouldn't do with that strength cycle, but I recognized that I had short period of time. And, uh, so then what I did was I switched over into what I think was the thing that got me to where I wanted to be. Now, about eight months earlier, after I lost world championships, I told everybody, I was like, I'm going to finish, I'm going to run a 57 and then I'm going to run a 55. And everyone was like, yeah, fucking right. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And based on my studies, I was like, I can hundred percent hit it. So then I picked up a cycle that I called the four, three, two recovery. And when I say I created this thing, I did in my own way, four, three, two recovery is something that the Norwegians were using, but I used it inversely with strength training rather than cardiovascular training. So I would have four intense days in the gym the first week with the least amount of volume overall for the week. And I'm talking about like four to six hours of cardio with about four to six hours, no, about six hours of gym time, 90 minutes per session. Four so, you know, big strength right. sessions with maintenance hard. aerobic work. Yep. Hard, 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 hard work. And I would run hard on Mondays with my first leg session. So I was doing four by eight um, threshold work and I was living in Boulder at the time running in the snow, which sucked ass. Um, the second week will be three intense gym sessions with one hard run day on Monday. Um, and basically now we're at, we're first week, we're about 10 to 12 hours of, of volume. Second week, we're at three gym sessions. And now we're about 15 to 17 hours of volume. And then the last week we do two sessions of intensity in the gym. And now we're up into that 18 to 20 hours of volume a week. And That's all modalities combined strength and aerobic. Yeah. But you know, the last week I'm talking about like three to four hour bike rides and, you know, two hour runs and, you know, 30 minute warm up run before my strength session. Like you just were packing in volume wherever you could. Still one and quality run or did you do more now? Now what I would do is in, in those weeks as especially as I got fitter, I would have like, you know, the second part of the strength training session be those hardcore treadmill workouts where I would do basically half mile run into, you know, 20 meter sled push into 80 meter burpee broad jump and, you know, 50 meter burpee broad jump, 50 meter um, lunge and then rest two minutes and then repeat like four times. Once I started to get fitter and I could see my baby fat start to come off and I could feel that my engine was picking up enough that I was able to hold those things and not break down the latter weeks, especially like I'm talking about March into April, I was doing crazy amounts of treadmill workouts. And I did so that for three as months. The, as the strength went four to three to two, the running went up, went up, went up. Yes. Big time. To replace that. Big time. This is, uh, is going to be where I'm dipping out, fellas. I'm going to have to listen back to hear the knowledge. Hoot. I'm going to miss you deeply. I'm sorry to leave. 
All right. Have fun. See you, brother. So, yeah, basically at that point, uh, I knew that I had this this period where I needed to make this huge exchange. I needed to drop weight and increase volume, both of running and intensity at the same time, which typically you wouldn't want to do. But that 4-3-2 recovery method, in my mind, was the opportunity that allowed me to have these huge, intense mileage weeks for very brief periods of time and then recover fully from that, get a rest week of rest, and then start to pick up weights again, pick up that level of intensity and volume in the beginning and recover from that for the next couple of weeks. And it made a huge difference. Like I, I can honestly say that my, my power output, which high rocks basically is, is a measure of wattage and what you can hold over time because you're, you know, those stations, whether it be the sled push, this, um, the skier, all that kind of stuff is just about strength to weight ratio and wattage. Mm-hmm. So week, your, your first week is four, four string sessions, one quality run. Yeah. Then you go uh you go down to three string sessions. You still hit your quality, but you bump up about twenty percent. Yep. Aerobic volume. Then yep. you go down to next week two strength sessions. Still hit your quality, bump up another twenty percent volume. So it's about a forty percent increase from week one to week three. Okay. Of volume over time. And then your recovery week looks like what? Back down to about you know eight hours total. You're so talking volume drops. Two, two sessions in the gym really, really low, you know, 30 to 45 minutes. You're probably under tension in the weights for about 30 minutes. And then you do like a 15 minute Metcon. That's usually very, very, you know, moderate intensity. I typically on recovery weeks actually don't really put that much structure in my training. If I don't feel like I'm really feeling it, I just drop it. For me at this point in my career, I've recognized that it's more important for me to feel energized about the important workouts rather than feel get all the workouts in, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to give people excuses, reasons to like, you know, drop out of workouts. But in reality, I just don't think there's much purpose in showing up unless you're ready to fully show up. And you're still hitting eight to 10 hours of volume on your down week. So it's not like you're cutting out workouts, you're cutting out pieces. Pieces. I'm not doing like, I'm just not doing the hard stuff. I'm just not yeah. doing the hard stuff. Like, honestly, here's an example. I was just in the gym before I went and saw you guys. I was supposed to do eight by four, um, in the gym. I just recognized that I was like, I don't have the energy in me to do those last two sets. So I only did six by four in reality. As long as I hit pretty heavy weights, I'm not missing out on a ton because we're not Olympic level lifters. But the thing that I really would, would matter a ton is if, like, you know, two or three weeks down the line and I've just lost motivation. I haven't pushed the level of intensity week after week after week. That's what we're trying to avoid really in a training cycle in my mind. Okay. Yeah. So when you, when you looked at this, which way did you start with your volume? Did you start a week that four week, yep. that first week where you do four, did you start at a reduced volume or did you start at something you know how to maintain right now and then shoot for the stars volume moving up? Did you go down or up with where you would start from? Well, I just started by looking at the strength sessions. That was the most important thing. I was like, hey, like I need to move these weights and hit these numbers. And then I need to hit this gym session and like be a fucking beast. I need to move these sleds and be able to do counting. Like when I approach sleds, I don't look at sleds in time. I look at sled sleds in steps. Mm-hmm. I try to see how I count 20 steps out as I'm pushing 
and then I break. And I usually take about a 10 second break in between. And what I need to do is those 20 steps can be more powerful. I can be really, really lazy 20 steps, or I can have this really high horsepower pushes of steps. Like you, you can watch when people are pushing. I was watching videos of Kent and I, I was pushing the sled more intensely and faster than him, but he was doing it more consistently in that slow drag over time. So I Which always reflects his training style. It does. And my, my, I came from a power standpoint is what I'm trying to explain to you. Yeah. I was trying to always look at how much power could I produce and then try to find ways to take more, more and more, uh, less and less rest in between these power outputs. And that was the most important thing to me on those week, week, uh, week one of the cycle was insane amounts of power, generate tons of power, and then try to get, as I get fitter over time, create either more power or the same amount of power and less rest. Mm -hmm. Week two with that three piece, you're still trying to generate a ton of power, but that's when the, you know, the, you're starting to reach this, reach this level of equilibrium, the amount of volume starting to pick up. So you start to actually feel pretty sluggish week two and week three with a lot of volume and you're out of the gym and you're just kind of cruising on the bike is actually the best week of them all. You know, you're out of the gym, you're out from underneath the bar. It just feels so relaxing to get outside. So week two is the hardest week and week three is just one of those kind of things. You have to be a pro athlete to put in that kind of volume. Otherwise it's just not available to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And is this the type of thing that you could have as a ready to race training program where you could go four, three, two rest year round, or does this have to be sandwiched between base work and then competition work? Is this pre-competition or is this sustainable? This is pre-competition. So explain to the, the audience what you mean by pre-competition. So I'm a big believer in periodization, and I think the rest of the Olympic world is, but um, I'm not going to say that it's right or wrong. Uh, basically, you have to understand that your body is constantly adjusting, uh, adjusting and growing, or it's regressing would be the worst word that you want to use. When you hit overtraining and underfueling, you're starting to regress. Progression is the idea that every single year that you're getting a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger. And what I've done is basically I run about three, four cycles a year. There's the off season, which is, you know, it's the beginning of season, which is typically strength and base work, which runs about three months long. There's the preseason, which we're talking about right now, which is where you're starting to really develop the intensity level, which is typically threshold. And we're not talking about track and field athletes. We're talking about people that are typically doing things that are 30 to 30 minutes to three hours that are like really kind of that high octane burning. Anything beyond the three hour mark starts to get kind of into the aerobic threshold mark more other than the threshold mark. Um, and that period right there is really important because typically it's when you're getting the most volume in and it's also when you're getting the most intensity volume in. And it means you're just putting a lot of those, what I like to do, like negative split runs, um, more intense, like longer EMOM style workouts in the gym. And you're just got a heart rate monitor on, you're holding about 80%. That's like tons of 80% work. And then competition phase, which, you know, studies show you can only peak for about three weeks. Competition phase for me is usually six to 10 weeks. And I'm typically not really ready until... I actually think I did it a little bit wrong. To be honest, I was my absolute fittest when I did the 5509 in Dallas, and I was still extremely fit when I did Go Ruck. 
And then I actually gained a handful of pounds and lost a little bit of fitness when I was at High Rocks World Championships. You can see there's probably about a four pound difference in me between those two races, maybe even more. So you have to time it properly and it's not always perfect, but if you do a really, really good job, you'll be within 5% of your absolute max um, for that competition phase. So pre-competition is just sandwiched in between base building and actually competing. It's the meat and potatoes of the work. It's, it's about three, three months long. And, um, you know, it's when you can, as I said, produce the most amount of volume. And then in competition phase, the last thing I should say is you, you drop the volume a lot and you're almost, if you're really competitive often, like which we were in the beginning of our Spartan race seasons, we were racing almost every weekend. So your quality work is your racing. Um, And everything in between there is just like maintenance, staying sharp, making sure you don't get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a kind of thing where if you imagine like the Spartan race season, which I'm assuming most of you guys are, you know, fans of, if you show up to the, let's just say the second one, you can, you can bypass the first one, the second Spartan race of the season. And you haven't put this block in and you're just starting it, or you're like halfway through it now you're probably in trouble. You started it too late. Like you should be at the end, the last four weeks on your second race of the season and then come through it and basically be ready for Spartan race world championships in like September. If you were, you know, you should basically be finishing this phase throughout July and then have like all of August into September being your peak phase. You talked about that you or mentioned, you said, I'm not going to say periodization is right or wrong, but I mean, the, the reality is that it is right. It just can be done wrong. People who say periodization doesn't work for them are either racing all the time or they're not periodizing hard enough because true periodization. And I assume you'll agree is much more miserable than being constantly fit because you have to get really borderline overworked to be able to then pull back. And it's the people don't really have that stretching out and then pull back and get ready to work on the race day. They have that like, I didn't quite push my pre-competition phase long enough. So now I taper and I'm kind of just sluggish and out of shape. Uh, It's confusing. I mean, dude, like the worst part about tapering from not tapering periodization for me is the phase that I'm in right now. I'm doing bodybuilding and I'm eating tons of carbohydrates And I'm a little bit soft, softer than I want to be, but but this is the time that you need to be soft. And this is the time you need to chill out. It's not the super Mm -hmm. sexy stuff. And I, you're not going to win in this place, but then all of a sudden, yeah, it's that point where people told me that are close friends of mine. When I showed up that one where I did 5509, they're like, dude, you look sickly. You worked yourself into the fucking ground. It was those nights where like, you know, your, your resting heart rate's too high and you're kind of tossing and turning in bed a little bit. Restless leg every night. Yep. Restless leg syndrome. Yeah. You gotta be there. And that's, that's just the reality of finding your limits and, you know, working through them, not past them. And yeah, I mean, periodization is used by almost every single major athlete in the entire world uh and at the olympic level or at least like championship level i think crossfit maybe destroyed periodization yeah that's the issue right they made it fun to just go moderately hard every day yes and it is moderately fit for the rest of your life and that's awesome for most people yeah i think Kyla gaberlossi is the only person who is in peak shape at all time 
I have a hard time with those people because they're so freakish. So freakish. Didn't he hold 27 world records at one time? And I think he set 27, year old, 27 world records throughout his career. I thought he held almost everything, though, from like the 1500 all the way to the marathon at one point. When he set the marathon, I think at that point, El Garouge had the 1500. Yeah. That's the closest it. anyone's ever gone to sweeping it all. I think he's the greatest runner of all time. I think Kip Chogi is only great because of the shoes and the science right now. Because Haile Gabrielasi was a runner through the 2000s, late 90s into the 2000s. He's, he ran like 203 or something like that in his 40s. Like Gabriel Selassie, I think, is the most successful runner of all time. I think Bekele is the greatest runner ever. Really? He, like the, the mo- I think he's the most talented other than maybe him or Daniel Komen. But Bekele did more freakish things than Gabriel Selassie did. Bekele, have you ever seen Fat Bekele, those pictures that go around? And that's not my term. That's the internet term. There was like a picture of him in a cafe sitting there in Africa with a beer belly and a double chin. And he couldn't, he DNF like three straight marathons. His, his agent had to basically kidnap him and keep him at training camp. He got a nine week training block in and then missed Kipchoge's marathon world record by three or four seconds. Really? After his agent had to kidnap him to stop him from eating and drinking and not training. He's freakish. I can't remember the name of the title, but there's this really sad book. I probably brought it up before, which is about this guy. It's like running with Kenyans and he was a British uh, journalist and he decided he wanted to get into marathoning because he was a runner when he was younger and he got fat. He decided he wanted to go live with the Kenyans and go learn from them and run with them. And like one of the parts he talks about in the books is like these kids become world champions at the age like 19 get big contracts and by the time they're 25 they're they're completely out their career's over because they got that money quick they started drinking partying they lost it all yeah that's so nuts it is so no i mean i think you could argue either way geber selassie is probably the greatest of all time but bekele was geber selassie or kipchoge's work ethic away from being the greatest of all time head and shoulders above them I feel like we've got other athletes like that in our circle that probably could have been like absolute monsters. There's some people that I met throughout our career in our sport where I was just like, how did you not win everything that we ever did? And I think it's just like one mental, you know, degree away from being the greatest. But unless you had that true North in your direction, you're totaled. Yeah. If you, like you, you talk about, I wasn't training your, I wasn't training is a lot of guys just normal how I prepare for a season. Six to eight hours of cardio a week, hour a day of running and a two-hour run on the weekend, that's an eight-hour week. And for a lot of people, that's what they look at is that's about as all you can do in this sport. And then two or three lifting sessions and that's it. And to the average person, that's really good, but that's not a world champion training schedule. And that's what a bunch of these guys, and I I think we're probably thinking of some of the same people, should have been multi-time world champions and they didn't train like that. Well, I'll tell you something interesting that I'm going to have to completely start from scratch again. Um, I think I mentioned to you, but I'm I'm interested in trying to qualify for the Olympics, and I've been looking at this sport called sprint canoeing, mm-hmm. and I've been studying these guys constantly. Yeah. Now it's interesting. It's unlike OCR because it's so hard to find one of these boats. Like if you want to just get fit for OCR, you just put a pair of shoes on and run, and then like try to find the Strava times of the other people. I've never even been able to find a boat to get in. Tomorrow, I'm going to get in a boat for the you first finally, time. Let someone let you in? 
yep, someone finally let me in. I'm going to get in a boat for the first time ever. Now, I just like a couple of years ago, I told people I'm going to go to the CrossFit Games. This is just much like what I'm saying now. I was like, I'm going to go to the Olympics for the sport. Now, there's a caveat here. I may get in this thing and just be like, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life and just admit to everybody like, hey, wasn't me. But if I like it and I'm half decent at it, first day, I'm going all in. And I'm going to literally work at the limits of the human body for the next year to see if I can qualify for the Olympics. And I'm going to have to speed learn this sport at a rate faster than any other human being on the planet has ever tried for this sport and try to see if I can make it. So it is going to be very interesting to try to start from scratch again and keep that same level of intensity and that mindset. And, you know, to be honest, like it's going to be, I'm pretty scared. I'm scared in the way that I, if I do go all in and I don't make it, it will be one of the most challenging years of my life. Um, much like CrossFit was like, I remember when I was trying to qualify for the CrossFit games through their rule book, not through mm-hmm. actual qualifications. It was one of the most stressful years of my life because I didn't know I was going to the CrossFit games until I was six weeks out from the CrossFit games. Much like this, I won't yeah. know what it's like to compete until the first time I compete. And the com- competition in this sport is so infrequent that um, I may only be able to compete like two or three times before the Olympic trials. Now, we haven't talked about this in months, but the last time you and I talked, your complaint was that no one will even get back to you, that these people are so standoffish and arrogant and they don't want an outsider in. Like they have the boats, they have only like two or three training courses in the US, courses meaning the places to get on the water and do it. And no one will give you a chance to sit in a boat and go. But you had one ex world record holder who would talk to you. How did you finally? finagle your way? How'd you wrangle up a, a seat? I just kept on peppering messages to everybody. This is the same way I started my OCR career as I would just message everybody online in triathlon, anything to try to learn. And it was harder back then than it is now. I have like a blue check on Instagram. So people see that and they're like, oh, well, he might be worth my time. But even at that level, these people have no interest in talking to me. And when I do get a hold of them, I'm like, hey, listen, I come from this sport and this background. I'm really curious about what you guys do. I'll pay you for your time, whatever it takes. Like I'm uh, you know, immensely respectful of any time that you give me. So, and they're like, yeah, dude, like seems really unlikely this is going to work out for you. And well, your best bet is to try to find a boat. And I was like, how do I find a boat? They're like, that's not really my thing. I don't know where to find you a boat. I'm like, what? Like, that's it? Like, yeah, man, the best bet you got is you could buy a boat. And I was like, okay, I'll buy a boat. Like it'll get to you maybe in about six months. I said, what? This is it. And so. Because you know, that's nonsense. You know, if they really cared, they put you on a hand erg. Yeah. And say, let me see what you can crank out on a hand erg. You know, you know, what do we call that? An arm bike or whatever. And let's see what you can put out wattage wise. If you were a coach or a team owner in a sport that was all about upper body power for what is it? Like 60 or 90 seconds? No, 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 no. It's 140 for the 500 and it's 345 for the 1,000. Okay. So between roughly what? Two to four minutes, two to five minutes. You would yeah. you would get, you'd say, you, really, you're interested in this? Forget a $20,000 boat. Come in here and just get on an erg and let's see what you can put out for a 90 second time trial. Yeah. Dude, if an Olympian contacted me or just a high level athlete, it's like, I'm interested in doing high rocks. I'd be like, okay. Here are the workouts that I'm going to put you through. And if you can get to my house, come on over. 
I'll put you, you would know within 30 minutes of working out with someone if they'd be good at high rocks or not, maybe less. Yeah. And yeah. they would know the same thing. They're just being standoffish. Yeah. You're being exclusionary. I, I, I don't get it. But you asked the question, how did I finally get a hold of somebody? Yeah. I finally got a hold of a guy named Stefan Holtz because he did high rocks the year that I did. Uh, I think, I don't know if he was at Leipzig, but he was at one of the events that I was at and he's six foot seven and like 235 pounds. He's a freak and a multiple time world champion. The craziest looking person you've ever seen on the planet sitting in a boat. That's probably about as wide as our hips. And I finally got a hold of him extremely broken English and I was like, it's really important to me, man. Like, you know that I'm a hardworking athlete. You've tried my sports. You know how good I am at it. Just please give me the chance. And he was like, okay, let me get a hold of some people. And super polite guy put me in touch with this guy named Rami Zur. I'm going to meet with him tomorrow. He was a multiple time. Yeah, he, I think it's from Iran or something like that. His wife was like a world champion and Olympian. Big Rami. Yeah, so I'm... I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I'm honestly where are you, where are you meeting Newport beach, about 75 minutes South of here, 7am tomorrow. So I'm probably gonna have to leave here at like five 30 in the morning. Yeah. I am going to basically get in the boat. And if I don't fall out like 50 times and I'm able to paddle like the better part of, you know, an hour on and off, if I get out of there and I like it and it, I'm decent at it. Like, you know, I don't look like a total idiot. I'm just going to tell him and say, listen, man, I know this is going to sound weird, but you and I are going to work our asses off every single day between now and next July, which is the you know qualifier. And we're going to make a shot at the Olympics. I know probably people have told you this before, but you've never met anybody like me. And we're going to do this. And he's either going to accept it or he's going to basically be just like everybody else who's basically closed the door in my face. So you know what your issues are going to be is that you have to jam five to 10 years of skill and experience and several years of specific fitness building into the same micro macro cycles, which if someone came to our sport and said, I'm going to win Spartan world championships in three years, you'd be like, yeah, you probably could. But if you said, if I'm going to win it next year, you'd be like, you have to race a lot to just get good at obstacles. Yep. But you can't race too much because you got to do training blocks. So what is your solution to that problem? Well, I think about somebody like Aaron Fletcher, if they had came to me. Aaron Fletcher Perfect. had the raw talent when he came to win Spartan Race World Championships. He was a younger, better Cody Moat. Yep. I think I could have trained him to win World Championships in one year with the talent that he had. Yeah. Spartan World Championships. Yeah, I, I would agree. Maybe not the shorter ones, whatever, but in that skill set, and basically I would have trained him and I would just been like, hey, listen, like we're going to work your mountain skills for a bit. We're going to train like in the rock climbing gym uh, twice a week. And then we're going to go, once you built like safe amount of like grip strength and stuff, so I don't even pop your hands off, we're going to go try obstacles and we're going to go have some fun at like these little kid camps and like do swings (laughs) and stuff. But I just know that I can nail down the skills. I'm basically betting off the fact that I know that if you put these guys on rowers and skiers, when I'm in shape, not right now, like I, you know, allow myself to get out a little bit, I need to sharpen and I'll get my extra like 10 to 20%. I don't think many of them could beat me in a, in a 2000 meter row or 2000 meter ski or even 1000 or 1000. I'm betting off the fact that I've looked at this stuff. The amount of wattage I can produce is higher than these guys. Not by a massive amount, but yeah. now 
the idea would be if Hunter is in the boat six days a week, practicing, 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 could he take that power and generate it through this vessel? Is it a guarantee? No. But is that the approach that I would take? Yes. And that's my guess. That's my guess. But now here's the hardest thing. Threading the needle for this chance actually matters the most of qualifying for the Olympics, not actually going to like being at the Olympics. I think my chances of doing well at the Olympics are massive if I can just qualify because I have two years then because Olympics are not until 2024. So how do you qualify? What do you have to accrue to get into trials? Dude, that's the fucking craziest thing. It is so hard getting information about this sport through these people that I don't even know that. But I do know that no one's qualified for the United States in a long time. What does that mean? You have to qualify. You actually have to have like a qualifying time. So they have a, do they have a U.S. Olympic trials or is it a world cup where you Olympic have to trials. get points? Yeah, it's U.S. Olympic trials. I think it's the North American trials. I think it's like up near Ohio or something like that. So they, they, is it like the U.S. track trials where you can win, but if you don't have the world championship standard, you don't go? Or is it that it's a North American trial and no U.S. guy goes top three? I don't know. <laughs> There's just not even like a website. There's no, dude, if you Google right now, like, you know, I, I've like emailed these people so many times. They just don't respond. Like part of me thinks that this website was designed in like 2005 and no one's checked it since then. There's a password to get into the real site somewhere and no one will let you in. Yeah. 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 If there's anyone out there who knows anything about it or knows someone who knows anything, please reach out to us. Yeah, please do. Cause it's, it's been a, a challenging experience and I'm not trying to knock on the door and be insulting of this community, but at least the experience that I've had, it's been like, you know, waves crashing, crashing up against the rocks. It's like an immovable object that I'm just smashing against trying to get answers. So, so they haven't had anyone qualify for the Olympics in how long? I don't think, I know the last two, but. Um, so at least two cycles with no representative and they're being standoffish about someone wanting to try it. I don't even, here's the thing is like, I don't even really think that they, these people even care here. I think they're just like part of like paddling clubs and they're like, yeah, man, well, you can come over and like paddle with us, but we don't even have the boat that you want. And I was like, how do I find the boat? They're like, well, here's this website to like find where they are. And then I get on the website and I'm like, there's no boats. And in the boats that I do find, there's no way to get a hold of the people. This is like cool runnings, but on the water, this is what it is. You are the Jamaican bobsled team right now. You don't have a sled. <laughs> You just need to find your big John Candy, I think that was, American coach who will let you come do it. I hope Rami Zora looks just like John Candy. Oh, that'd be so good. Yeah. You'll know you're set if he is. Yeah. I'm hoping it's going to be good, dude. I show up tomorrow at 7 a.m. And, like, and I'm not a water sport athlete. Like, I've definitely done a fair amount of kayak, canoe races, some paddleboard races. But the water doesn't turn me on like the mountains do. Mm-hmm. So I'll be a fish out of water. All right. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Might sound disrespectful. I don't mean it to be. Yeah, go for but it. But you're like this crazy wattage athlete, yeah. but you're a crazy wattage multi-skill athlete. Yeah. I know you've talked about the skier and you've talked about the rower, but in the true rowing community, like how long would it take you to be Olympic level? I mean, dude, just before I came and uh, talked to you, I did a cut down test. And I started at like a 155, then I did a one high 140, and then I did a high 130, and then I did – so I had to stay underneath the last 10. And yeah. I was growing a 127 for the last 500. 
into 6,000. So I probably right now can roll like a 615. And if I clean up, I'll roll in the low sixes. And then if I probably trained really, really hard, I could probably roll like a 555 within six months. And I think that would qualify you. But as I said to you before, I think um, there's a lot of like, you know, metrics to it beyond pulling on an erg. Like I'm six foot two, 200 pounds. They need somebody who's a little bit lighter because we have too much weight in the bow. Like type thing. All right. So anyways, to finish my thought out, I have only seen you watt dominate really powerful athletes or endurance athletes. I've never seen you upper body, pure upper body and core watt dominate a specialist. So is there a chance that you can't translate your wattage to a boat where you don't get to use your full leg engine? I don't know, man. I mean, like, have you done anything? I guess what I'm asking is, have you, do you have anything that I haven't seen you do that shows that your upper body output can match what you can do with your legs involved? Well, I've been testing this and I've been going to gyms and no one can match me on this. And it's not because I have a skill set. I only created this like a couple months ago and I don't do it like daily, but I'll show you this video of what I've been doing. This right here is my version of attempting to see what it's like to be inside of a ski erg. Oh yeah. So I saw that video. A, that's exactly the motion that these guys are doing in the boat. So see how much slower that guy's going behind me? Yeah. These guys can't even hang. So now let me just show you what's canoe. So Hunter's showing a kneeling skier where you don't get to drive force with your lower body. Now watch this. Oops, not shopping. Now this is just bro tactics, but. Wait until it zooms in on them. So it's basically the same exact motion. Hold on. Let me, okay. Let me wait until, uh, okay. Shit. It was right there. Do you see the way that they're moving their bodies? They're obviously reaching with their arms, but their core motion is the same exact thing that I've been testing. Yeah, that's true. How often are they switching sides? Never. It's one side stroke? It's one side stroke. How does that work? Is the rudder you're angled? You're basically balancing the boat and you're you're using the uh, the paddle as a rudder. So there's there's a, a decently high skill component. It's like kneeling paddle boarding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I'm not saying that I'm going to be a master at this. I'm just saying that I'm going to give it a try. I've never been good at not trying things. And if I do get a hold of it and I like it, I'm going to kill myself trying. So the worst thing they could have done is tell you no a bunch of times. If they wanted you not in the sport, they should have been like, yeah, man, anyone can try it. It's super easy and you'll probably be super good. Just come on in anytime you want. You'd be like, I don't know. The fact that they told you no guaranteed you weren't going to stop. Yeah. Well, trust me, I've had a lot of coffee table talks with people like, if I ever meet these motherfuckers, I'll kill them. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's going to be interesting. I'll, I'll call you tomorrow after I'm done. I could just like cry for like an hour after I get out of the water and be like, yeah. it wasn't what we thought it was. It's so hard. Um, so you're going to have to find out all your qualification requirements from this guy 
And I'm going to sit down with them for like an hour afterwards and be like, tell me everything. Yeah. Where, where they live, where their parents live, what boat I need to get. What are the times? What I can, what can I do at home every single day? There has to be a tester metric that they have as the industry standard. And maybe the U S doesn't care, but some country has to care enough about it. Well, I found some very limited stuff on it and it's like pretty freaking lame. Uh, where's the rest of it? iCloud Drive. Benchmarks. K1. This is all K1, C1. So at the senior level, the 500 meter, um, the normal, they say, is 149. At the base level is 148. The 16% um, off the industry standard is, you know, qualifying standard, I guess, is 207. The 1,000 meter, which I think I'll go for, the base standard is 350. And the 16% off is a 430. And if you watch these races, some of the guys are finishing like 20 seconds behind, you know, the champions. So, so it's just not a full sport yet. Well, no, it's, it is. it is. I mean, this thing's been around for decades. But it hasn't filled out. If you have a 20 second gap in a, in a four minute race, I think there's the people just like in every single sport, there's the people that really care. Like, I mean, I finished in 58 minutes should have been 57 minutes if I didn't get the penalty. And there's guys that finished 10 minutes behind. And I would say we're not a full sport. Think about a mile or 1500 in the Olympics. First to last is going to be about a second, second and a half in the final. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I guess you, you put it in a good way. So, but what I'm saying is that there's room for new life. It's not like you're coming into a, a fully furnished sport. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think it'll be good for them. I think it will also be good and interesting for the Olympics. I think I I'm going to film the whole thing and make a documentary out of it. And obviously like I have to, as I said, get in the boat, test it out, everything. And the only reason why I'm sharing is because I've mentioned it a bunch of times and I might as well talk about it. Cause I did just get great news that I get in the boat tomorrow. So I was like, I got to tell the boys. Please so, have someone film your first boat attempt tomorrow. Like if you're doing a documentary, you have to have this day. Yeah. Some no, no, sort, no. Even if it's shaky cam, I don't care. I'm going to give, I'm going to give uh, the guy the phone. I'm like, Rami, please. I know, I know this is your craft and I'm not trying to make fun of it, but just film me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for you. I'm happy too, dude. Um, how does it feel? How are you after your belly button surgery? I'm Did one they take week away off? from being able to start training again lately. What does training look like for you these days? What is da- Big Daddy Bracken training for? Well, I'm not saying yet. What? I just exposed all of my deepest, darkest secrets. I'm not entirely sure. That's okay. Because I've done this before now three times. I've had three surgeries since. So I've three times been doing the, what am I doing now? What am I going? And I've told you some of this before. I was going to go after and make one last national series podium, or I was going to go and try to break, see if I could actually someday break 60 in a high rocks, like do you have a good high rocks? And I was going to go and try out. Like, I don't, I'm tired of saying it. And I'm sure people are tired of hearing about what I'm about to do. So the I'm only specifics I will, it. the only specifics I will say is that my goal is that by the time spring 2023 ends, I'm putting out the best metrics that I've put out since entering the sport. And once I hit those and prove that I'm at least fit enough to know that I can do the things I used to do, then I'll choose an event. You should do something that's really like not in your wheelhouse, in your wheelhouse, if you know what I mean. Like train for like a VK. 
train for a VK and like that's why right now if if I don't get back into boating, I'm doing a lot of single speed mountain bike racing just to keep mm-hmm. my engine sharp. Not like train, but I'm just riding the bike and then yeah. going to do a bike race, something random. And it feels so good to get at like get good at something that you're not used to mm-hmm. and the gains are so rapid. It it's a high. I believe that. I am intrigued by things I can be good at. Because racing doesn't matter to me financially anymore. I can't make a living off of it. And You're a my, billionaire. It's not bad. It's that, free. I can't make a living off racing. So pursuing a series doesn't do anything. Like trying to find a sponsor and like, can I get someone to cover my trap? That doesn't do anything. So I just want to race wherever I can be successful. And if that's like racing a ping pong table down the Mississippi while like juggling golf balls, like that's the sport I'm going to do. Like you said, you, you've researched for years and finally put it all together. Yeah. Starting this podcast up has reinvigorated like my lust for training knowledge and putting all that together for, you know, starting, it'll be first week of July to end of spring is almost a year. It'll be like a 10 month training block and it'll show me what am I fit for? Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you, dude. I I am in a similar place where my racing career is no longer a monetary driver. Mm -hmm. I spent almost as much money on racing as I did earning in racing last year. Yeah. And I know we're like at two different levels where like I'm actually racing and it's getting cash, but at the same time, it's not one of these kind of things where it's life changing. I'm more inspired by work than I am by racing right now. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm in an interesting place. And I'm like, I shouldn't live in this limbo state where I'm deciding every single morning, should I sit down at the desk or should I go work out? Yeah. So I was like, I think I'm going to have to make a change and I'm going to have to get, do something new, like being in a boat to get that flavor back in my mouth. So I, I wish you the best of luck. And obviously I hope all of your metrics are better than ever. Well, that to me, that pursuit of those metrics excites me more than any race you could name right now because the things we used to do what used to devour our life was the spartan series and spartan championships yep. none of those venues have made me excited in a few years combined with the fact that i probably couldn't podium at any of those venues like being good at it often drives my our enjoyment of something so yep. that that's not a i don't think i could podium at any of these venues they chose for the year, even if I was in my absolute best and B, I don't like racing at altitude. I don't even know what would excite me other than as soon as I see it on the calendar, I want to be so darn fit that I can switch towards that skill set for a few weeks leading into it rather than like right now or last month. If I saw something that really excited me, I'd have to pencil it in for next year because I wouldn't be fit enough to do myself any justice. I I don't like that feeling. I want you to grow up here and do an event like Western States or Leadville. See, I would do that kind of thing. That's what I think you should go for. Dude, you just become a bad dad. Just that dude <laughs> that like everyone goes to sleep and you your hours of training are from like 8 till 11 o'clock at every night or like 3 to 5 every single morning. That's a good dad. A bad dad is just doubling during the day. No, but you're a badass dad is what I'm trying to say. A bad dad. You're just like, Da-da-da. if you were me. If you were, if we switched lives right now, what would you pursue athletically in the confines of my skill set and where I'm at in life? What event do you think you could be the best at right now if you were me? 
and you took your mentality yes, into my body, what would you, what would you pursue? Well, not the ultra, ultra distance. I think those things are sickening and too hard. Well, that wouldn't like, be my best skill set for sure. No, as I'm saying, um, you had one year to maximize my athletic potential with your mind inside of my body. What do you do? What do you target? I don't know why, but it's either, it's either things like doing Leadville or, um, skyscraper running. I don't know why, but I feel like you'd be really good at skyscraper running. Maybe I know that's go down as well. What up is too much of an engine thing. Really? I think you just, cause you have such like a high, high, high turnover. You could just probably fight like a dog, but think back to any stadiums we've ever done. You're always tapping me on the back saying move when we're going upstairs. Yeah. The fact that you can hold a five minute mile for a bunch of miles back to back is means you can run and you've done a couple of these really hard backyard ultras and stuff, which is super impressive. And now it's just like, can you put enough work in without falling apart? Like, I don't know if you've watched Miguel at all, but Miguel is like training. I was actually just stalking all of his work this week. It's like, holy shit, dude. Like, where's this coming from? It's wild. That dude's work ethics through the roof. And it's like one of those kind of things where Miguel was never the best at Spartan racing. He wanted, he, he's always kind of just had bad luck in Spartan ultra racing. He's always been really, really fit. But now it feels like if you just take away like one more um, aspect of it and just narrow it down to running, I'm like, whoa, dude, you're actually starting to get pretty good at these things. And he's putting together training weeks that are mind-blowing. So I think he has a good chance at winning that Ure 100. And next year, if he decides like, you know, really step up into the big leagues. I think he could be a top tenor at some of these more major things like Western States or run rabbit run. You know, it'd be interesting. You're really, really, really good at stadium races, but I don't know if you want to do that level of intensity anymore. This isn't the point of why we're here. Point of why we're here (laughs) is to talk about you and specifically your high rocks training. Yeah. So like, what do you have? You've talked about your four, three, two rest. You talked about your periodization you also have something coming out. So what is that? Yeah. So we're launching the high rocks masterclass. I think like one of the things I recognize in the sport of obstacle course racing and in high rocks, high rocks is a better example for this because it's so dynamic is there's not a really good education system on how to really train for the sport. And there's thousands of people globally doing this thing and it's new. And a lot of people are just kind of blown away every single time they do it. The first time they're unaware of what they need to train. And then after the first time, even if they do it, they don't know how to train and get ready for the next one. Mm -hmm. So I have personally been doing high rock since 2019 and you know, I've had a significant amount of success in it, but I take that from the fact that I was prepared for the task before I even knew what was coming. I've been doing, what I like to call fitness racing and training like fitness racing since 2017. And I even was doing similar style stuff back in 2014 when we did that short course. So there is a formula to it and I can prove it. Like we guarantee your money back. If you do not PR your next race, if you do not PR your next race based on your last one, we'll give you your money back. There's no program out there that's going to do that for you. So if you ran a 70-minute one and you don't run a 69 the next time you do it, we'll give you your money back. It's on us. I mean, you have to do the work. Like if you don't do the work and you just want your money back, then so be it that you had that coming. But if you do the work and you do not learn and you do not succeed, we'll give you your money back. 
And that's because I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I've worked with so many people in this position. I have personal clients. I also have a mass client program. You know, we're different from you guys. We specialize specifically in the sport of high rocks and a couple things around it. And I think one of the things that's really different about our sport and CrossFit is CrossFit is a competition, but what you do between competitions, you live in the CrossFit gym. You train CrossFit. When you leave high rocks, you don't train high rocks. Like people just leave and go back to their regular lives. I want to create a development system where people year round have an opportunity to hone in on the craft. And I want to get gyms being able to use it. Like I want to really teach the community. And I do not think that high rocks is the only iteration of what we're going to see in fitness racing. Like DecaFit's obviously popped up and there's going to be more things just like it. And I think to be able to master our craft of being able to be extremely well-rounded in the form of aerobically fit and also strength is something that is not fully developed, but is always something people are reaching towards. People are always like, man, like it's almost like a, you know, the most, uh, you know, if, if there was a training program that Terminator was on to get ready to go take on over the world, this would be the program. You probably just could have said that. Yeah. And it's well-rounded. It's fantastic. And it's designed by a genius. So is it based around this four, three, two rest? No, the four, three, two recovery thing is something where it's like, give me 30 seconds. I just want to plug in my computer so it doesn't die while we're talking. Yeah. Uh, I must have forgot my charger out there. Well, we're going to, we're going to pray. So the four, three, two recovery system is like something that is really, really good. But at the same time, it's, it's something you need to be aware of the sport and the training style to really benefit from this one right here is it's a masterclass. We take you through an eight week program where you are definitely going to develop through it. But what we do is, is it's not just the training. Like week week one, we teach you about the entire program. Week two, I'll just go to the syllabus. So you're saying four, three, two recover would be, you would have to have each person such a good understanding of it in themselves that they'd have to make tweaks throughout the program themselves. And this is, I can give you one thing, you follow it, you're set. Yes. Yes. Four, three, two is for somebody who's a little bit more developed. So week one, you do the program overview. We teach you everything about what the program's all about, what to expect over the next eight weeks. Week two is going to be the station lecture. Obviously, we tell you all about like there's this whole video class. And then we also teach you about like how every single station is designed and how long it is, how long it takes the average athlete and how to specifically get better at it. Week three is annual periodization. So what you do during or throughout the whole year to prepare for the events that you want to get ready for. Week four is rest and recovery, just kind of teaching you about the importance of like how to get um, – recover between sessions uh, at the end of the week, how to really take care of yourself. Week five is nutrition. Week six is mindset development. Week seven is race pacing. And then week eight is creating your game plan and really kind of just what's going to be next for you in the sport of high rocks. So we take you through this entire educational system where you have a syllabus, you have your training, you have your master coach right here. And we, you know, totally set you up and prime you for the sport. So it's not like a PDF where it's like, oh, you have to do like, you know, five miles today. Like this is really intensive stuff that we want people to learn from. When you say we, who's all involved here? Well, I have is that you nicely saying you without just being selfish? No, 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 no. We, like we have a whole company now. I have multiple coaches underneath me. Um, you know, I'm the founder of it and I'm the creator of the program. But what happens is, is like I, we have hundreds of people sign up for individual programs and we have thousands of athletes throughout the year. 
I personally cannot answer all of your messages. So if you write mm-hmm. in like, hey guys, I'm confused. If I don't have a sandbag, what's the best thing to use? And like my team will just message you and stuff because look, I'm doing a podcast with you right now promoting our program where my coaches are probably answering people's messages online right now. Yeah, and when we hit, Yeah, so I so this is from your mind though. It is from my mind. And we I am very involved. In it. I don't want you guys to think because I say I have other coaches answering questions. It doesn't mean that I'm not involved, but I do want you to ask a question on our Facebook group and you will have an answer within the hour. Like, whereas for me, if I was taking care of the program, you may, it may be days just because mm-hmm. I've got too much stuff going on. It's not that I'm too important. It's just, I want you to have better service. Okay. So let's say me. Yeah. I did a 77 and then like a 67 or a 69 or whatever it was. Yeah. And I want to join this program. What am I going to get out of this program? Specifically for you, I think the best thing is to actually understand how to race it rather than train for it. I mean, I think training, you're so smart and you've done it so much. You probably know how to train yourself. There's probably a couple of tweaks that you're going to learn from us and how we actually teach the body how to find its threshold throughout so many different variabilities. Mm-hmm. You may know the threshold of your running capabilities better than any other runner in the sport, but you may not know yourself in all these different capacities of whether it be the rowing, the sleds, everything that may be an issue. And then all of a sudden knowing your strong suits, like I teach you about a heavy strength-based athlete versus a more aerobic light-based athlete, what they need to specifically do and how they need to tackle the race and the stations themselves. So we go through that with you. And like you have the opportunity to ask those questions. You can send in those questions myself or my team will answer them. Or if we do the zoom classes, you're going to get responses. So you know, you'll be really taken care of. But the reality is, is someone like you may have been in shape to run a sub 60 already, but you've been spending too much intensity on the front end of the race rather than the back end of the race or vice versa. Like, you know, Dylan Scott, because he's a taller, thinner aerobic athlete, he starts to pick up his intensity near the end rather than the hard work in the beginning. You may have to do something similar to that. And you may not have known that. You may have not thought that. And now we need to expose you to it. And now you might have your best race ever because of that. So when you masterclass isn't like a, a word that describes how good you're going to get at, at fitness, it describes the all encompassing, like learning all about high rocks, how to train for it, how to race it, how to match your skill set and your metrics to the competition day. Yeah. We want you to think that this is an actual education program. It's not a training program. It is a training program attached to a really high level, like Harvard version of exercise science for you and for a specific race. We don't want people to think like they're going to be like, whoa, like, why am I getting invested in this? Like, why can't I just buy a regular program? Like you could buy my regular program, but we're not going to teach you and handhold you through the regular program. Like this is something that is very high level. We've worked our asses off on it and we want only the most serious athletes that want to get involved. Like if you just want to work out, this is not the program for you. If you want to succeed and be your best at high rocks, this is something you should sign up for. So this is an online course as yeah. well as a training program. Yes. I mean, you get everything sent to you in a big packet. There's a couple of different ways of doing it. You go onto the app, you go sign into your education platform. You go onto the online zoom classes that we have, blah, 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 blah. You have workouts still. Oh yeah. Daily workouts. Every single for eight weeks, for eight weeks. Plus the education so, piece. Yep. Education piece, discount on a high rocks, all sorts of stuff. And interestingly enough, the most beneficial thing that I think people get from this and they don't understand is actually 
our Facebook group. You'd be so surprised how su- supportive our Facebook group is. Like people have questions. They're like, Oh, I don't know how to tie my shoes. Like you'll find out in that Facebook group. <laughs> it's pretty, in- it's pretty impressive, like how supportive it is. And I never thought that was going to become one of the biggest factors of my business, but it's a game changer. All right. So give me one piece out of there. You know, like a, an author, will go to a bar and they'll read like one snippet of one chapter to try to get people to buy their book or what, whatever it's going to be. Like, what would you give one little snippet out of here that's going to entice people if they haven't already been enticed by your previous couple minutes of speaking? I think the simplest thing that I can say to you is literally you get your money back if you don't succeed. Like me giving you a scientific approach to what you're going to learn in here is not going to make you more excited than that. Like most people are signing up for races because they want to succeed. And if you're not the person who's looking for success, then this is not the right opportunity for you. This is an athlete-driven, success-driven program. And we, we're not reinventing the wheel. Nothing we're doing is rocket science other than the fact that we have, I personally and my team personally has more experience than anybody else in the industry on this fact And we're going to bring that information to you and we're going to give it to you and we're going to make it look nice. We're going to give you guys the best resources possible. And truly like, I can't say this in a better way possible. If I had had this years ago, I would have broken 55 a long time ago, but it took me this long of doing this many events globally over a decade to be able to learn this craft. And now that I have it, and now that I built a business where I'm actually able to give people a really good product, it's exciting to be able to bring to people. So worst case scenario, this is a discount on a future Hyrox entry. Worst case scenario, yeah, you just got a discount and you got your money back and you got to hang out with a bunch of other athletes. Like, you know, whoa, what a waste of time. You probably All were right. doing it anyways, but now you got a great community to help support you. Okay. I can yeah. get behind that. Hey, man, the reason why I'm doing it is because, one, I am truly, truly inspired. Like, there's a lot of easier ways in the world to, you know, make it, but – I can honestly say this has been my passion for many years and it's so exciting. It took, it took a certain amount of time to be able to actually produce this kind of product. Cause I didn't have the resources at my fingertips and now we're finally there. So it's the best thing that I've ever, ever been able to produce. And I'm excited to share it. It's got me all tingly over here. That's right, dude. I honestly have to say goodbye to you cause I have 2% battery. Is there anything else I can share before this thing cuts out? No, nah, I think good luck to you tomorrow. You and Rami. Dude, I'll, I'll honestly, I'll, I'll message you as soon as it's done. And do. um, anybody who listens to this, I hope to God you guys see me at the Olympics someday because that would be fucking awesome. And again, if you know anything about this world, please message us. Hell yeah, baby. All right. See you, man. Thanks for having me on, brother. Uh-oh. I think my computer's frozen. Just X out of here. All right, I guess so. Mm-hmm.